Before I decided to focus this podcast on sharing stories of women over 40, I recorded a series of conversations last year to test the waters for both myself and for you. We originally launched the series in May and June of last year. With each episode, my heart swelled a little more at the idea of centering my platform on women over 40. The conversations around aging were growing louder and louder, but they still seemed focused on health, wellness, the silver hair movement, fashion, and menopause. And while I was thrilled to see more content created for me and my peers, I didn't see as much that helped us consider our futures. I wanted to talk about what was next. I wanted to talk about purpose and unfulfilled dreams while we had experience behind us and more time ahead of us. I wanted to talk about how our roles were slowly shifting as children were growing and our daily responsibilities were changing. I wanted to talk about re-examining our current roles and professions and pursuing those things buried deep, deep inside of us, waiting to see the light of day, waiting to influence and impact the world around us. I was grateful to each woman who said yes to talking about their age and sharing their own windy path to finding their current venture and themselves in the process. Please join me in listening to this OG series that led to the relaunch and rebrand of this podcast and our entire platform. I dare you to listen to these conversations and not consider your age to be an asset instead of an excuse. Actually, I double dare you. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty for Her. And once again, you are in for a treat. Today, we have Susan Feldman with us, who's going to be talking about her journey launching two companies and a little bit about the difference between launching company number one and company number two in two different decades of her life. Susan, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. You and I had a, an awesome phone conversation, I think, last week and decided we probably should have recorded that on top of this <laughs> one, too. <laughs> but I'm excited like, to hit all of those high notes that we hit in that conversation. But before we get really into the meat of it. Tell us a little bit about the two companies, One King's Lane and In the Groove. Right. So One King's Lane, in case people don't know, well, it was an online home decor business that we started in 2009. Uh, now they actually do have a couple of stores, uh, store locations, but I mean, it pri primarily launched as an online business. And it was something that I did because it was something I was looking for and couldn't find out there. So in 2009, we launched that business. I had a partner, Allie Pincus, 
and built the company up and sold it in 2016 to Bed Bath & Beyond. So kind of your go-to great place for everything for your home, which is what I was looking for. And then we sold that in 2016. And a couple of years later, I started a new company called getinthegroove.com, which is a fashion and beauty and health and wellness website for, you know, I hate to even put a number to it, but we say it's for women over 50. It's really for anybody because hopefully people seem to enjoy and they do, you know, our curation of fashion, beauty, and, you know, the information we're providing around uh, health and wellness, but it is really targeted to women over 50. That really was the impetus for uh, starting that and creating this business. You know, what's cool about um, when you said it's really for more than people that are 50 plus is I've talked to so many millennial women who are like, Mm -hmm. I am looking for the thing that is aspirational, the thing that I'm moving toward. And if Mm -hmm. everything that I read and everything that I look at is for my generation, then I feel like there's nothing to go towards. There's nothing to look forward to. So I love that we have this place. I mean, for me, I'm, I am in your demographic, but for those who aren't, there is a place to go and sort of Look forward to what's on the other side of. of Yeah, I mean, I I think two things. One, the reason I started this, I really couldn't find anything that spoke to me in the way that I felt like people should be talking to me and showing me, you know, uh, things that I would like. I, I couldn't find anything like that. And it just felt like there was an opportunity to show and showcase women 50 plus in a different light than we were being shown out there. (laughs) So that, that was really, you know, one thing, but that's, there's no number on the site. The only number that you'll find on the site is my age. So we don't really, you know, there's not a specific number we put to it. And I think part of that is what you're saying. I mean, we actually have quite a large following on social media of women, you know, under 45, I think it's about 25% of our followers. And I think they're they're also looking for, you know, aspiration and direction. I think they look to us and think, wow, you know, you guys kind of did what we're going through now. You know, you had a family, you had a career, you look great, you know, how the hell did you do that? Yeah. You know, so I think they're they're looking for some answers also. And it's kind of interesting because one of the things I realized is that our generation is really the first generation. We're on the we're the front, you know, on the frontier in terms of, you know, what, what do you do when you get to 50 plus yeah. now? Because our mother's generation certainly, you know, we're quite a bit different than we are. I mean, we are as a gener- as a demographic and a generation, healthier, wealthier, more engaged, you know, more interested in sort of doing, keep keeping the, you know, things going. Yeah. And uh, so I think, you know, we're, we're really paving the way in, and, and so many different aspects of, you know, what does that look like to be 50 plus? And, you know, not only what do you look like, but how, and what can you do? You know, you can do anything obviously, but I think just being able to show that to people is is great and inspirational. I it's key that you just said being able to show people because I think people and that's a testament to so much of the work we do here is you need to be able to see what you can become. I mean totally. it's a, it's a totally. it's an old quote by uh Marion Edelman but it's it's one that I think rings so true especially it's so true for what you're talking about. When we look to our mothers and they didn't do the things, the doors weren't open to them in the way that Mm. they have been to us. Never mind that there's, you know, in America in particular, we're aging up 
And there's so much opportunity for us to have a second, third, fourth career. And, you know, I'm in the sort of age group right now where my kids are, they're teenagers. I have one graduating today from high school. Congratulations. Thanks, Susan. And it is, it's a little bit of now what, you know, they don't need me in the same way. I mean, soon they won't need me at all. Well, you'll be surprised. They will. Okay. Okay. Oh, good. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for making me feel good. But there's so much opportunity to then, I have all this knowledge, all this experience. Like, why would we ever put that away and shelf that when this is this Mm -hmm. great season of life? Something else I wanted to bring up about your demographic is we live on one of the coasts and you lived, we both actually lived on the other coast as well. Yeah. And when you think of a demographic from a psychographic point of view and how people are going through what, what it means to be 50, you could have a 40 year old going through this who had her kids in her twenties and is dealing with some of these things. So I, I imagine a lot of those people are gravitating towards your site. One of the things that uh, we had talked about this, but you know, that really, is I guess is my hypothesis to you know kind of what's going on out there is that if you use fifty as a I don't know, just as a, it's an arbitrary number but it's a lot of stuff happens at fifty when you think about what happens to women around that time period it is daunting you know mm-hmm. physically you go through menopause emotionally you know your kids are if you have kids typically it's around that time that they're you know, leaving and you become an empty nester and you may be looking at, you know, a partner of some sort that you've been with for a long time and looking at them and like, (laughs) do I still like you? Do I still want to be with you? Like, I need to get to know you again. So emotionally, there's a whole thing going on. Professionally, you may be getting aged out. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different things going on that I think are distracting to women in this demographic at this age. And you know, we live in a world where things are changing like every second. And it's very hard to stay up to date and kind of know what's going on. And as you're distracted and not focused on what's happening every second changing, by the time you kind of, I I think of it, it's almost like getting through a tunnel, right? Yeah. As you come out the other side, you're like, I'm here, I'm ready, let's do it. And you're like, what is going on? Like, you don't understand half of the stuff people are talking about because so many things have changed. So I really wanted to try to think about get in the groove as a place that was informative also, and, you know, keeps people in the groove, right? Um, you know, by providing them, you know, we've had funny articles about acronyms. Like, you know, when I started this, there were a lot of acronyms. I didn't know I'm working with a 26 year old kid. I'm like, <laughs> what the heck does that mean? You know, it's like, I don't know what it is. And I'm guessing a lot of other people don't. And we do funny things on the site. Like we'll put always at the bottom of the email, I see why am I, which, you know, of course means in case you missed it, but yeah. you may not know that that's what that means if yeah. you're not, you know, like haven't been paying attention. So we always, we put the letters and then we translate it underneath. So, you know, it's really just a fun kind of way, I think, to try to keep this woman informed and let her know, you know, what's going on and also help her find you know, things that make her feel good, whether they're new clothes or beauty products and things like that. Doesn't it say that? I think in your bio, you say that this is your ha- the happy place. Like that, that's part I want of it intention. to be the happy place. You know, we're, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We try to have a lot of fun. We're a little bit irreverent. There's places where you can go where people are much more serious and write a lot more serious articles. 
But, you know, I'm at a point in my life, I want to have fun. I want to laugh. I, you know, yeah. want to make fun of myself. I just don't want to take stuff too seriously. And so we try to reflect that in, you know, the content that we publish on the site. It's good. It's good to know that a place like that exists, especially when people are dealing with heavy things in yeah. the age group where there is a lot of sort of this is not where I thought I'd be, or is this really totally. the end of something? And and it is a time for renewal, but when we don't have context, it's really hard to know what do we want to reinvent ourselves as, or why, why am I going through all these things? You talk about menopause, and I just think so many of my friends um, who are right smack in the middle of this you know, the conversations are like, is it me or is it menopause? Is it, is it like, which is it? What's, what's really happening here? Well, the, I think the good news is, is that, you know, we are talking about it, which is great. Right. You know, like when I, when I went through menopause and I went to my mom, because, you know, they say a lot of the symptoms, you know, like not genetic. I mean, like if your mother had like really bad hot flashes, like, you know, you might be likely to have the same thing. Like, how was it? How long did it last? What, She's like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, you know, there was like, it's like, (laughs) like, I I don't know. I have nothing to share with you, you know, kind of thing. So I feel really good that we are talking about it and that women are talking about it amongst friends and they're not feeling like, oh my God, you know, there's something wrong with me. And that has changed a lot in the two years that we've been doing this. Like when we first started, nobody was talking about it. And now there's so much going on in this area, which is great. People are talking about it. There's products specific for menopause. Lots of things are happening. I think we have a long way to go, but we're starting to, you know, make a move. And I think, you know, even though we are fun and we don't take ourselves too seriously, you know, my bigger vision here within the groove is that like, we want to try to help change the conversation around ageism because it's, it's a big ism. And for whatever reason, it's always at the bottom of the list. You know, I know there's a lot of stuff that we're dealing with as, you know, a society and, and there's a lot of things that need to be corrected, but this is a big one and it's really needs to be addressed because, you know, there isn't an expiration on you when you get to 50. I mean, you're only probably halfway there, honestly. And so like, we need to change that conversation and start to show what 50, 60 looks like. It's funny. I got an email from somebody today. She goes, I love what you do. It's so great. But could you, so I'm 80. Can you show some 70 and 80 year olds? (laughs) Well, that just tells you what's going on. Right. And that people have an appetite for this kind of information and content. Totally. I have to ask you, because to that end, the work that you're doing on the web, it's all digital, right? So you're talking about a demographic who perhaps on the younger side can embrace this with no problem. Has there been issue with trying to get some of that older demographic to come to the site, to come to the uh, your Instagram or any other social platform? Has that been an issue? I mean, I don't think I would call it an issue. I think you just have to approach it a little bit differently, yeah. right? So I think this demographic has been a little slower to adapt some of the, you know, technology and do things than, you know, like your kids might be, you know, we think of it as like, it's our job to actually help them learn how to do those things too. So, you know, we've had uh, videos about how to use Instagram, how to post a story on Instagram. Like we want to help her because that's part of what I was saying before. We want her to feel like this is not a scary place. It's a fun place and she should use it and be a part of it. And that's kind of what's happening now. So, 
it's definitely not like speaking to millennials, but you know, I think you just have to have a little more patient and maybe be a little bit more helpful and teaching her how to do things and what do things mean, you know, right. and how do you use certain tools? And it's probably a little bit of a slower build, but it's paid off, you know, so that we have a a much bigger Instagram following now and much more engaged. And uh, yeah, so we we try to help her the best that we can learn well, how and to then use all the nice things. thing about that is she's probably not quick to leave that platform. You know, you Hopefully talk not, about yeah. uh, millennials and they can and Gen Z now they're consuming and going through platforms. It's like, what's next? This is old yeah, news. Yeah, so yeah. the nice more, thing more. Yeah, <laughs> about this demographic is they're going to hang on. They may be slower to get to where you want them to be, right. share all the information, but they'll be there for, for some time, which will be nice. Totally. But I think it's important to, you know, like to help her with this, because I think one of our mantras is if, uh, to stay young at heart. Anyway, you have to keep learning. And in yeah. today's world, like for sure, you just have to keep challenging yourself to use new things and learn, you know, different yes. things that you might not have known about before. Yes. And what a great time in life to do that, right? You oh, know, yeah. you, you know more about what you want. You don't really right. care about people's opinions in the same way. You sort of are freed to really become the truest version of yourself. Wouldn't exactly. you say? Okay. So on that Absolutely. end, actually, speaking of the truest version of yourself. So you go from, I know this because of our conversation, but having a corporate, a successful corporate career, you decide at 53 to launch a company which I love. I'm 53. <laughs> and I love that you have this, the beginning of this success, you know, second act success story at 53. And then you do it all over again. First, I want to ask, what was the difference between launching One King's Lane and then launching In the Groove? Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was very different. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I had had a corporate job. I said, I worked in fashion apparel business for, you know, most of my adult life. And I guess, you know, one of the things that's interesting is even though I worked in big companies, I always felt that entrepreneurial spirit. I always felt like I was in a position where I was running my own little business or whatever, but I obviously had the comfort of the protection of a, you know, major corporation. So it wasn't exactly that. And actually, you know, it's kind of funny because I grew up in a time where if you said to somebody, you know, Oh, I'd like to be an entrepreneur. They would like look at you like, what are you, what are you talking? Like that wasn't even part of the, no. you know, yeah, the language back then. So, yeah. but I always did feel very entrepreneurial. I like to run, you know, these businesses and build them and brands and things like that. Um, and so I had this idea for One King's Lane, and it took me a long time, like a year. I mean, I really, you know, marinated on this for a long time because I thought, wow, you know, this could be a really fantastic, you know, venture, but then maybe it couldn't, I, I just couldn't like, you know, the idea of starting it seemed really daunting to me. Yeah. And finally, you know, my adorable husband, Bob Feldman said to me, okay, here's the deal. Like either stop talking about it yeah. or like go do it. And I was like, okay. And he's like, seriously, what is the worst thing that could possibly happen? You know, if you do this and I was like, yeah, it won't work. It's exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's some, there's so much like value in that because like you should try things. If you think you have a good idea and you think you can execute well, like you should do it. 
because you'll probably learn a heck of a lot also. I mean, I'm not saying you should just take, you know, crazy risks and, you know, just go at lots of different things. But I think if you're really thoughtful about it and you have a good idea and, you know, financially you have figured out a way to, you know, launch that venture, like why not? You know, you could have the next one King's Light. Like we didn't know when we launched if this would be anything or not. And actually it was very funny because once... I decided to do this and I hooked up with Allie Pincus, who's my partner. We bootstrapped the business and we actually approached everything as if it was going to fail. I mean, that was like when we started. So we made sure like with, you know, any contracts that were out, you know, we could get out of them. We hired everybody as like freelance people initially. Like we didn't want any sort of long-term commitments in in case it didn't work, you know, which is kind of funny. And then once we made the decision to do it, not that it was easy, but we just put blinders on and, you know, maybe ignorance is bliss, but we just like went at it and whatever it was, we said, we knew what we had to do to get launched. We knew we wanted to move like uber fast, which we did. We launched the business in less than six months from the time that we formed our LLC and we just had a list and we just kept going at it fast and furious until it launched. And then once it launched, it just took off. And that was, you know, a whole other And it took off right away. I mean, right it away. was, it took it off was right away. out of yeah. the gate was a success. It was one of those special moments, like letting a genie out of the bottle. Like it was, you know, we had no idea, but then we kind of had an idea and we're like, oh, wow, this could be like really big, you know, it's like growing so fast and whatever. So, you know, I think, we were very clear. We did the, the work that we needed to do to get it launched, meaning we were really clear about what we wanted to do, the brand that we were building. And so when we were going through trying to make a million decisions, we could move yeah. quite quickly. And, you know, we did, and then we launched and the rest was kind of history. It was just kind of took off and grew and evolved and, you know, became this wonderful place. It was a wonderful <laughs> to, place. To shop and, for home. And for those who aren't familiar with it, especially in its heyday when you were at the helm, you had to be a subscriber. You had to be sort of a member to get access to what was happening. And they were timed sales, correct? Like things would pop up. Had anybody been doing that at the time? Well, yes. The idea actually came from the apparel industry. So the flash sale Uh, model came out of apparel. And that's where I was first introduced to it. And I was like super excited about it because I saw how dynamic it was. And it was this new model. And for anyone who's gone to like a a good sample sale, it's like really exciting. And somebody described it to me as like, you know, like, oh, you were the queen of uh, FOMO, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I guess, I guess that's what we were, you know, I never really thought about it that way, but, you know, so it was this idea of limited product for a limited amount of time. And then the business evolved after that. So it started off as that, and then evolved into like a full on regular website, but that took time over, you know, a number of years to kind of get to that place. But because people love what we were doing so much, they're like, I don't want to wait for next Saturday for a betting event. I want like the betting that you guys curate. So like, give it to me now, you know? And it was cool. You guys had a a lot of entrepreneurs that I know and have worked with ended up selling on One King's Lane. So you were able to include a lot of people who were their own micro businesses into your Yeah, I mean, we did that. And also like for me, one of the, there were so many wonderful things about the business, but it also was an opportunity to help launch 
people doing new things. As a matter of fact, if you're familiar with Gray Malin, the photographer, yes, you know, yes. I, I always take credit for this. And he actually in his first book gives me credit. Uh-huh. But, you know, he came into my office and I love what he was doing. And, you know, at the time, his business was very different than it was today. And we, you know, kind of made a deal and we had a relationship and we constantly were promoting his product. And I think, you know, really helped launch his career. So being able to do that when there was product or, you know, merchandise or art that we loved was like really exciting, that you know, exciting. For, for us also. So how do you go from that business model to your current business model, which is essentially a media model, a publishing model? How do you, what's the, what was the point it's, of that It is transition? media, but it's, it's, I mean, there's definitely a heavy commerce, you know, yeah. uh, part to what we do. So it's interesting because the reason I did this, and I was thinking about this after we talked, because of yeah. course I was having like a total brain freeze, but when we were in the middle of selling One King's Lane and I kind of started maybe getting more in touch with some of my friends and, you know, paying a little bit more attention, a friend of mine who I went to Stanford with posted this picture on Facebook uh, with three girlfriends. They were celebrating somebody's 50th birthday and the hashtag was hashtag at 50. We're not invisible. That was what it was. I couldn't remember when we were talking. I was just like, (laughs) and I was like, oh my gosh, they think that's funny. That is like, so not funny, you know? And so it made me start thinking and then paying attention and talking to other women about this. And it was kind of mind blowing because everybody I spoke to used that word invisible, invisible. And I was like, that that's so wrong. Like, you know, it's just like that, that isn't what this should be. I don't feel that way myself. And so I need to understand who's speaking to us digitally, like where are women going to seek out information and hang out together online? And I just really couldn't find anything that spoke to me. I mean, you know, there's like, we had talked about like AARP, which is an amazing organization. My 91 year old mother loves it. You know, it's like, it didn't really resonate with me. And so after doing a lot of due diligence and speaking to a lot of women and doing focus groups, I realized there was this, this huge white space uh, for to talk to and do things with this woman who nobody was speaking to us. We are yeah. completely underserved community. And the crazy part about it is when you dig into the demographics, it's a very large demographic. I think second to millennials growing like crazy. We own like 70% of the wealth in this country and we're super consumers. So we spend 250% more than any other demographic out there and we're being ignored. Yeah. It's so shocking was, to me, like from a, from an advertising point of view, like the, yeah, the dollars crazy. aren't, you know, and I, have said this before, like, I don't really want the only version of me to exist, like in a Swiffer commercial, like that does not speak to me. Yeah, at or all. Viagra in a bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm so much more. I'm so much more yeah. than those things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So did you use any of the same sort of business model or was it like, I want to get away from this. I want to do something altogether. I, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't call for the same model, yeah. but I obviously had learned a lot doing, you know, one King's Lane, And there were certain things that I did take over, which interestingly enough were things that I probably changed about a year into the business, but that's what I knew. That's how I knew how to do things. But this also speaks to staying up to date and, yeah. you know, sort of, iterating quickly, which we did at One King's Lane, but I took that information. And when I finally did start 
uh, get in the groove, which was a little bit harder for me to do than uh, one King Flynn. I think I, I said to you, I think I just knew too much. Yes. <laughs> so yes. I, was, I was constantly second guessing myself, which was, you know, unfortunate. But and I also, the other thing was I did this right after we sold the company and I needed a break. Like I needed to reset. That was like a quite a journey, you know, seven years. And sure. I really, it was crazy to think that I could just go from one thing right into another. So I really used the year after we sold it, even though I said I was working on this, I think I was really resetting, refreshing, you know, just kind of getting my head together. And then once I decided to do it, it happened, you know, pretty fast, but yeah. So I think, you know, it was, it's a different model. It's uh, very different than one King's Lane, but you know, there were things that I took with me that, like I said, I realized weren't the right things for this business and changed them. You know, yeah. that's a beautiful part about, you know, well, any business you can do that, but digital is like pretty easy to, you know, make changes, which is great. Was this last 15 months of more and more people turning to digital for, for content, more and more people looking to occupy their time by seeking out information and learning. Was this kind of 15 months good for you guys? Or? It, was, it was great yeah. for us. I mean, I think, you know, on March 15th, I said, oh boy, maybe I should just shut this down. You know, yeah. it's like, it just felt like the world was just in such a crazy place. Yeah. And it was like, I thought, who's going to even care about this, you know? And I said, well, you know what, let's just take it a week at a time. We'll see what happens. And fortunately, you know, because what I was saying, we we're able to, to change our content super fast, you know, prior to March 15th, we were getting ready to talk about spring trends, like who cares, you know? And, you know, after March 15th, we were able to change the content. So we did stories on great sweats and slippers and, you know, uh, Dyson vacuum cleaners and, you know, hand creams and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. So we had that ability to be very flexible and it, you know, I think really worked to our advantage for sure. Sure. Um, Sure. And, people didn't stop shopping. They started shopping for different kind of things. You Absolutely. Know? And we're all, yeah. we all became very aware of our surroundings. You know, all of a sudden totally. it was like, I was at home 24 seven. So it was like, <laughs> what do I want to be wearing around the house? What do I need in the house? Yeah, And I think people also appreciated, you know, like I said, because we do try to have fun and keep it light, you know, mm-hmm. it's like to get an email from us for, and spend, you know, a couple minutes on it in the morning was kind of like, oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah. You know, a nice switch from elections and COVID and, you know, yeah. everything else that was going on. We were a little bit of a breath of fresh air, I think. So it was good. And we all needed that. It was a, we look back, I think in retrospect and we realized in the, in the midst of it, it seemed heavy, but now coming out of it, it seemed like, man, how did we collectively survive that? That was a, it was a tough season. And I think yeah. some of the remnants are, being experienced now in 2021. Oh yeah, I think you'll I think you'll be seeing them for some time actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so for sure. you had said that you always had this entrepreneurial spirit. Was there something in you that said, "Yes, I'm enjoying this, you know, w- working in a corporate setting and owning my own team and having my own sort of accounts, but I still really want to go out and do something on my own, soup to nuts?" Yeah. You know, I think it's a couple of things. One, I had worked in the fashion business for 20 something years and it changed a lot from the time when I first started. And I, 
actually wasn't enjoying it so much, you know, when I, when I ended up leaving and started one King's Lane. And I think, you know, I was at that point in my life, I was in my early fifties. I'm like, I didn't need to be doing something that I'm not enjoying. So I need to go figure out what that is, you know, that I want to do that will give me joy and pleasure. And I, that wasn't happening at that point. So I think the other thing is with both of my businesses, you know, it's like necessity is the mother of invention. And in both cases, I was looking for something that didn't exist. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes that is the best place to go for ideas to, you know, start new businesses. So, you know, it's funny when we started One King's Lane, I cannot tell you over the years how many people said to me, oh my God, I had that idea that, you know, I I don't know why I didn't go do that. I said, I don't know why you didn't either. (laughs) (laughs) That is the difference between, uh, there there are people who I will often hear say, I'm an idea person. And I'm like, that does not make you an entrepreneur. The entrepreneur is the person who's putting in the blood, sweat, and tears. And by the way, the idea is obviously very important, but it's not, it's such a small percentage of actually really creating a great business. You know, I mean, you have to have the idea, of course, but execution, the team that you build, all that stuff is just everything. It's, it is everything. It It is is totally everything. Yeah. So sure. Before we kind of switch up to the second part of the interview, I just wanted to ask you kind of as listeners are tuning in who are of different ages, we've got listeners who are millennials, we've got listeners who are Xers and and boomers. And maybe my daughter is the onesier that we've got. We'll see. But (laughs) what do you sort of want people to hear or to know from your story? Like, what do you want to leave them with in terms of launching kind of at any age? Yeah, I think if you have an idea and you're really passionate about it and it's something you believe, you know, should be out in the world, like figure out a way to make it happen, you know, and it doesn't matter what age you are. Like, I think, you know, it's funny. We talked a little bit about this, but I know I was 53 when I started One King's Land. It just never even crossed my mind. Like I'm 53, like, oh, I don't know. Should I do this or shouldn't I? Like it just wasn't. It wasn't a thing. It, was, it wasn't anywhere in my purview. So I think if you're really passionate about an idea and you've done your due diligence and all that kind of stuff, like go for it. Yeah. You know, try to, and, and there's different ways to do that, right? So, you know, maybe you can't just quit your job and do something. You can do a little side hustle for a while. I mean, you know. And you can do it. The technology is there that allows you to do it in a way that's never been there. The technology is unbelievable today. I mean, I can only tell you this because I'm doing a lot of the stuff for our website. Yeah. I am doing it yeah. you know, myself, like programming emails, changing <laughs> things on the website, things that we had teams of people to do, sure. you know, at One King's Lane. So you totally can do things as a side hustle. It may not be the same, but at least you can test the waters or something that way. But I think if you have something you really believe in and you go execute it against it, I don't think you'll find anything that's more fulfilling yeah. than, you know, having a vision and watching that come to fruition is just a pretty remarkable experience next to having a baby. Yes. Yes. Which it's, a, it, that's its own venture. I would say. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. My, my family, there's four children and three of us are entrepreneurs of some sort. And um, the joke is we say nothing ventured, nothing ventured. Like it's so exactly. much of it is, is that experience. 
that would have been a much better answer to your question, but <laughs> I went, to, I kind of went the roundabout way, but that's, that's it. That's yeah. exactly it. That would be what I would leave people with. That's a great way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think there's so much value in that. And, and that's something you need to value when you go into it. It can't just be about the end result because it is going to be a long journey, even, right. you know, whether it's the, having the success you had at one Kings lane or something that's much less of a of financial success. I think it's important for people to really appreciate the venture itself. Yeah. And I think, you know, from an age standpoint, like I think actually going and working in big companies and learning yes. a lot there is very helpful for when you decide to actually go, you know, do something on your own. So, you know, I know kids go through college and they're like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, you know, but yeah. not, not a bad idea to go work Agreed. in a couple of companies, see what works, see what looks like it's the right thing, the right way to run a business, all that kind of fun stuff. And then, you know, go do your stuff. Of course, if you have an amazing idea, you should, you sure, know, sure. go make that happen. But yeah, I think nothing venture, nothing venture. There you go. It's yours too. You can own that too. So, <laughs> as we sort of pivot into this second part of the interview where we're picking your brain a little bit, benefiting from the expertise and the experience that you've gained. What would you say, you know, there's no shortage of millennial platforms out there for entrepreneurs. It's pink and it's girl power and it's girl boss and it's strong, right? But I've been to some of those events. I've tuned into some of those digital platforms and it can make somebody 40, 50, 60 plus feel like this isn't a game that I should be playing in. Yeah. This is, you know, whether it's the technology is beyond me or I don't really have a fresh idea or whatever. And I think you are a great example of, I love that you said, I didn't even realize like that there was an issue with me being 53, that I should be <laughs> questioning this. I just went on to the next thing. But do you think that women kind of over 40 have missed the boat well, what do you think? I don't want to, I don't want to, I have my own opinions, but I want to sort of hear what you think uh, about. When, when you that. say miss the boat, what do you mean? Like miss the boat? Well, I think in... a lot of them feel like seeing all these millennials launch, seeing all of the, the girl boss that people are sort of creating energy around. They may feel like I'm 40 plus. I guess I, I guess I miss that boat. I guess I really can't launch something. What would you say to them? I'd say that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are stronger words, but yes, I agree with you. I mean, you know, listen, I think at different times of your life, well, I think it's always great to be part of a community, right? So, yeah. but I think as a younger millennial being part of these girl boss groups and helping, you know, kind of support each other, it, it's fantastic that all that stuff's out there for them. They're starting their career. Somebody at 40s had a lot of experience already. And I think they can create their own communities in different mm. ways, right? It doesn't have to necessarily be something that is out there that they go to attend. And they they probably should attend some trade event if there ever sure. are again, sure. which hopefully yeah, yeah, there yeah. will be. But, you know, even online, there's, you know, great things that you can do. But I think you have to look for support in different ways when you get to be 40 to go and do that. And by the way, I think it's great to have younger people around yes. you too. I mean, I worked with this woman who, when she started with me, she's 26 and, you know, I love her to death. And I think we both have learned so much from each other. A lot of times I'll ask her like, what the hell is that? What does that mean? You know, like, and, and I've taught her things also. Um, and so I think that's really important. As a matter of fact, today, later on 
get in the groove. We're doing an Instagram live with the founder of this website called, or it's not a website, but it's called Circle, which is all about reverse mentoring. And I think it's like really important today. And I think at 40, that might be something that would really benefit you is to find a younger person that you can learn from and maybe teach them something also. Right. But I don't think there's a, there's no age limit on doing something and having a good idea and going at it. I think if you have the idea and the energy and the passion to do it, like go for it, yeah, go for it. Would you say there was a difference, not necessarily in difficulty or perhaps it was, but was there a difference from launching something at 50 and launching something at 60? And I think in your case, it was what you said is I knew too much. And that wasn't about age. That's just about your experience. Yeah. That was just my experience. No, I didn't think from an age standpoint, um, actually, you know, it's funny with get in the groove. I feel like my age was really my superpower, right? Because after Mm -hmm. I realized that there was nothing out there for women in this demographic and that people were looking for a community and looking for advice and wanting somebody to look to that could help, you know, be maybe a little inspirational. I thought, well, who better to do it than me? Like, I feel great. I'm in a good place in my life. I've started this other business, which, you know, I did at 53 and I hope I can take some of that and share some of that, yeah. you know, fairy dust with other people so that they can feel better about themselves and go do whatever it is they want. You know, maybe it's learn bridge or something. It doesn't have to be start a sure. company. Sure. You know, I think that's one of the big things. We don't get into this as much on our site, but, you know, people talk about reinvention all the time and there are some amazing reinvention stories out there. But I think as you get older, like I think you need to take inventory of what your at what your strengths are, what your experience is, mm-hmm. and figure out what what's it what's the iteration. Maybe it doesn't have to be like this massive reinvention where you go do something completely different. You know, I mean, what I did, I guess, is considered a reinvention, but I really just think of it as an iteration of where I had been in my life. You know, like I had worked in the fashion business. I was passionate about home and I took all that and put all that energy into one King's lane and it worked. I love what you're saying. I didn't go try to become a lawyer. (laughs) No, no, but I love what you're saying so much because I think, you know, we did last season, we talked about pivoting and we talked about slight pivots, just ever so slight shifts. Not everybody needs to do a 180. And I love that you're bringing this up when we talk about this idea of your you're actually aging into who you are. You're not, you, exactly. you know what I'm saying? And Exa- so that's exactly right. I love that. I love this idea of it's an iteration of who I already am, the experience right. I already have, what life has already taught me. Like all this has not been for nothing. This is, this has all been to get me here. The other thing is like, maybe there's something you've dreamt about doing or being, you know, but it just didn't make sense because, you know, you had to have a paying job and, you know, you needed to send your kids to college, whatever it is. Now you have the freedom and the flexibility and the experience to go do some version of that. And it doesn't mean that you have to start a big company either. I love that so much. Okay. We were, we're going to be hashtagging that and using that quote <laughs> all over the place. Let's hashtag. You, you told me a story and I want you to tell it now because I think it's a, it was a great, whether you recognize it at the time or not, but you became this kind of 
little bit of hope for a lot of women, but it was when your team at One Kings Lane came into you and said you were going to be in Vanity Fair. Tell that story. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we started getting some press once the company really took off and, you know, more and more people learned about it. And actually we were, uh, you know, Vanity Fair put Allie and myself on their new establishment list, which was like amazing. But like, you know, our PR person like sheepishly came into my office and said, I have really great news for you. You and Allie are going to be on like the new establishment list. The only thing is like the only way they'll do it is if you allow them to print your age. And I was like, Okay. So yeah. like, what's, what's the big deal? <laughs> yeah. Like I actually felt so proud, especially yes. after, you know, being part of the startup world and, you know, Silicon Valley and all that. Like I actually was really proud that I was part of that and that, you know, I was a woman and I was 53 or I was probably 55 at that point. You know, I was like, you can put it out there. You can put it as big as you want. Like, yeah. you know, I am totally have no problem with that. And I do think that's part of, you know, what, changing this whole ageism conversation is about is like, we have to own like who we are and our age, right? We shouldn't be embarrassed about it. I mean, I know there's certain industries where it's becomes a little trickier, but I think some good things are happening, you know, there too, like in the entertainment industry and stuff, but I know it could be harder there, but like, if we don't own our age and we're lying about our age and stuff like that, that is not helping the cause at it's all. It's not helping the cause, no. And it's a lack of respect, I think, for the this generation that we want to respect. I want to be respected when, I, right. when I'm viewed that way. And I want to respect those who've come before us and have paved this path. And I want to honor exactly. this time in, in, in that person's life. Exactly. Exactly. So I was always very happy for them to I love old. that you. I love that you did it. And I just think of all the women that were flipping through those pages and saw your name and saw that number and thought, maybe it's not too late. Maybe I can do something. Whether they were older than you or younger than you, doesn't matter. But just, I I love that story so much. You talk about, you mentioned Silicon Valley really quickly. And I know that you raised money for One King's Lane, but haven't raised money for Get In The Groove. What would you say was easier or more difficult about raising money, Silicon Valley or friends and family or, you know, traditional bank loan, whatever it may have been in your fifties. Did you feel like that shored you up for something or did you feel like it was um, a negative? I think if I had wanted to raise money, it would have been a lot easier for in the groove because of being a successful success. entrepreneur. Yeah. 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 I feel like One King's Lane, we had so many things that were maybe not the typical experience because Allie and I did bootstrap the business initially mm-hmm. and the business was took off so fast and was so successful that we actually had people reaching out to us wanting to invest in our company. So before we even put one foot out the door to say, hey, you know what? Maybe we should go do a round because this is going to be big and we're going to need to have some smart partners and we're going to need to have some additional resources we could keep it the way it was and it would be a lovely lifestyle business or we could go get money and make it like really big. We had people coming and wanting to give us money before we even, you know, tried. So we were, I think, fortunate in in that way because we did have this really, I think, unique business and experience that just took off so, so fast. Um, And often I, I listen to people tell these stories, especially women, young women, it's really hard you know, when they go to raise money and there's still not enough money being given out. 
I think to women and uh, we just didn't have that kind of experience, I think for a lot of different reasons, which was, was nice, but I know that it, it, it's very challenging. It can be very challenging out there because I advise a lot of people and I know what they go through trying to raise money. Yeah. And I think that is, it's slowly changing, but it is changing. And for those who are listening, there's a great interview that we did in this season with Maha. Check it out. She's a a venture capitalist from the Bay Area, and she had some great insight. Uh, yeah, on I bet. That piece yeah. of it. She was yeah. part of the real, real, and and kind of all the success that happened there again with an older woman. Yeah, who started something. So that's great. So just to wrap this part of it up. You've said that you don't think it's too late. You've been very clear about like, if you have a great idea, go for it. What sort of parting words would you want to leave our listeners with in terms of whether it's talking about age or just reinvention or, or the next iteration of you, what would you like to leave them with? I mean, I think, you know, what I've gotten to at this point, and I say this often when I talk to people, but whatever it is, just keep it really simple. You know, like less is more. And I think that we all have big ideas and grand ideas, but when you're actually thinking about what it is that you want to do, whether it's a business or, you know, just something else in your life, just keep it really simple because we do live in this wacky world that there's so much going on. And it's like, if it's complicated, you should go back to the drawing board. You know, it's like, it needs to be really easy touch, simple simple and stay focused. I feel like that advice was for me. So I'll take it. (laughs) I needed to hear that this morning. (laughs) Thanks, Susan. Um, Okay. Cut it back. Keep it simple. Yes. No, I think, I think you're right. It's key just to be focused. It's so easy to think that the good idea is a complicated one. And it it's the opposite. I always, the analogy is like finding the perfect little black dress. Not yeah. that easy to find, but when you find it, it's kind of fabulous, yes. right? No, that's, I like forever. that. I'll, I'll keep yeah. that analogy in my head. Yeah. So before we say our final goodbye, we, all, we always do this thing called the fast five. So I'm just going to ask you five very important questions and um, answer <laughs> whatever comes to mind. So what's the number one trait you think an entrepreneur must possess? Oh my God, there's so many, but I would say being tenacious. Yeah. Yeah. You probably learned that in spades. And then an app that you have used to run your business or to organize your life, anything that you really rely on. I mean, you know, the, from a business standpoint, there are things like, and I don't know that they're necessarily translate to a large group of people, unless you're running a business, but, you know, it'd be something like MailChimp, you yes. know, or WordPress, which is what our, you know, website is on, which is, just what what we were talking about is that there are so many amazing, easy tools out there, you know, PayPal, like I don't have to write checks anymore. I pay everybody through PayPal, you know, I'm saying like with Venmo, but you know, they're just like so many great things for different buckets that you can find. I think it's, it's hard to pick, you know, one, but, um, and I think, again, it goes back to this idea of keeping it simple. You know, you find the one that allows you to do what it is you're doing in a really easy way. And there's so many good ones out there and just stick with, you know, that one, that one, you don't, yeah. you don't need, you don't need a bunch of them because that can become very, no, it can become very overwhelming. And I also think find the one that suits your business size. I've learned like totally. We, yeah. We ended up 
going with Flowdesk for our emails. And it's been awesome because the designs are just right there in front of you. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I don't even know even that. Even I one, can do great. it. Flowdesk. Remember, Flowdesk. Okay, well, um, I got to check it out. And then what was the first task? Let's go back to One King's Lane. As soon as you had a little bit of money that you could hire somebody, what was the first thing you hired out? There was, there was multiple things. Actually, this is a funny story. This might not have been one, but yeah. when we, we raised money, so that's when we were able to do it. Because up to that point, we actually were doing fine, but we were just adding like a person at a time. Sure, sure. And it was mostly on the merchandising side. And our VC said, well, we need to hire a head of product. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm, <laughs> I'm the I'm head the of person. <laughs> I'm the merchant here. What are you talking about? I am the chief merchandising yeah. officer. She said, no, no, product, the web kind, you know, which is a whole right. different world. Product is somebody, is the person that is a liaison within a company between your engineering team and, you know, say your merchandising team. Yeah. And so oh, wow. I, I didn't even, I didn't even know what that was, but I learned really fast. But I think what we really did was we started to build out a engineering team. So we hired a CTO because that's a whole other podcast, yeah. but how we got our business started during the, you know, it was the recession when we started One King's Lane. So we had outsourced pretty much everything. And so when we raised money, it was really a question of starting to bring all these functions back in house. So we put, we hired a CTO who put together an engineering team so we could build our own platform and take it back from where it was operating from. So that was definitely and one King's Lane was one of the very first hires, you know, that we had. That was um, a major and I think hire. for for me, for getting the groove, obviously much smaller, much scrappier, but it was having a social person, you know, yes. somebody that I work with who helps me with our social because that is a full-time job. And it's been great to have her as a partner and a collaborator and and, and she's the executor. <laughs> yes. And also so, I think on the social end, when you have something that is, even though Get In The Groove isn't based around you, we want to see you because you're yeah. kind of the poster child for it. Yeah. And so it's nice to have somebody who's pushing you. Often the founder's like, no, no, I don't always want to be in front, but it's nice well, to see that person. It's interesting. You. That has been, that's been a, actually a little bit of a, a evolution in the last couple of years. Cause I, I did resist it a lot, but we do get, you know, it's, it is productive yeah. for us, let's say. And so I now am having a lot more fun with it. I have a very different thought, you know, in my head, it's a very different thought process. And I actually, it's fun. And we, we, I think we're, you know, trying to make the most of it, but I think this is like anything. And really also important lesson is that whatever you're doing, however you start, you need to always be thinking about how do you make it better? How do you iterate? I feel like maybe back in the day, things stayed a certain way for a a lot longer Mm -hmm. than they do. And today it's just everything changing so fast. So if you aren't constantly, evolving and updating and iterating, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, it's probably not as good as it, as it could be. And so I feel like we are constantly trying to do that, do new things, you know, like we started doing more videos and now we're starting to try to build out our YouTube channel, but you can't do everything at once. You know, this is part of keeping it simple, but when you have success with one thing, then you can build on that and add the next layer and I learned that at One King's Land. That's exactly how we started the business. You know, when we first started, we were just selling 
little tchotchkes. I mean, anything that you we could buy at a gift show, basically. The idea when we started is it was going to be everything for the home, but there was no way we could do that in the beginning. We had to sort of build on each category success, yeah. you know, and then and learn from all- the users and what the users were telling you they wanted, right? Yeah, were- like we didn't know, you know, I mean, remember the first time we sold art, I was like, I don't know, is anyone going to buy this? Sold out, you know, First time we did rugs, I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. Sold out. You know, it's like, okay, they want rugs. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. they, you, they let you know for They'll sure. I'll tell you, this is a funny, and I'm taking us off a little bit, but I think it's important. It, and I know you watched it because we talked about it, but that Friends special that was on HBO Max, um, yeah. there was a moment when one of the director writers was talking about how they would listen to the audience, whether it was the audience applause or whatever, or if a joke fell flat and you'd right. see all the writers right there yeah, while the staff was on set. I mean, while the actors were on set, like rewriting. And they talked about a moment when Monica and Chandler finally got together and the applause went crazy and they're like, oh, maybe we should pivot this story a little bit. That's what they want. And I thought, man, that is exactly what businesses need to be doing. Listen to what the audience is telling you. Pay attention. They're telling you what they want. If you're listening, they'll tell you. Believe me. And this demographic will definitely tell you what they want. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) I can only imagine the emails (laughs) you've received. Okay. This is, I think the hardest question, Twizzlers or Red Vines? This is not a hard question at all. Twizzlers. Oh, but you're East Coast. See, East Coast. I don't know what I am. They're not anymore. You're both now. There is not even a question in my mind. Oh, Susan, I was with you up until now. (laughs) I was with you. And then on a more serious note, our podcast is Liberty for Her. Our website is Liberty for Her. The whole idea behind really wanting to build this brand is to help women liberate their dreams, what they're passionate about, who they want to be. What does liberty mean to you? I think it's such a great question. You know, I think at this point in my life, and I don't mean this is on negative, it's actually positive, is the ability to say no. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. So many women are going to hear that. And I think you <laughs> just gave them permission, right? Yeah. It is kind of hashtag permission granted. We It's one of our hashtags we use all the time, but I just do. I think like, you know, I spent a long time trying to please other people and do the right thing. And, you know, not that it was ever a bad thing for me, but, you know, maybe it wasn't something I really wanted to do. And I feel like, you know, I've set free when I finally learned how to say no and do what I thought was, Mm. you know, the right thing for me. I love that. What a great way to end our time together. Thank you so much. Thank you for Thank you. sharing your story and your wisdom and your experience. And uh, we are better for it and appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we were finally able to do this. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and Liberty listeners, everything that Susan mentioned, we will make sure is included in the show notes, including getinthegroove.com. All of you should check it out and sign up. Yeah, sign, sign up for our email. Is that the weekly, daily? How often does that come We out? send out an email four times a week. Oh, great. Yeah. So uh, it's getinthegroove.com. You go there, there's a million pop-ups and places you can sign up for the email. We do have a really fun Instagram account, which is getinthegroove1. Same thing on Facebook. Okay. And uh, Pinterest is pretty awesome also. And we're just starting on YouTube, but it's going to, it's going to be great. Susan's going to send us all of those. So we'll make sure to be able to link to all of them, both in our Instagram and in our show notes that'll exist on the website. So thanks Liberty listeners for 
for tuning in and we will talk to you guys next week. Uh, Thank you. So fun to be here. Bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower.